Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. It's kind of interesting how monthly shows come about. Last month, you might remember, we talked a lot about pilgrimage. Last week, Sarah Hart joined me to talk about her new song from OCP. And this week, we're talking more music, and I have other musical guests for the rest of the month. So this month's theme is music. And today I'm speaking, I think, with a legend in Catholic music. He's traveled all over the world. He has emceed many different youth events throughout our country. I'm speaking with Steve Angersano today, who is an internationally recognized Catholic composer, presenter, and passionate music missionary. Uh, he has many different accolades. He served, for example, as an MC for the papal visit of Pope John Paul II in St. Louis, Missouri in 1999. And you can just read all about what he has done. But he also, as a musician, he's rooted in theology because he holds a Master of Arts in Theology, as well as a graduate specialization in sacramental and liturgical theology from St. Meinrad Seminary and School of Theology. So a little Benedictine influence, just like <laughs> my conception, uh, Benedictine in, uh, influence as well. So Steve, yeah. thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, it's great to be here. That's that's information for me. You, so conception was your uh, undergrad seminary, perhaps. Yeah, that's but, where uh, I went for, uh, yeah, for my college. And uh, I did two years there. Uh, they were blessed years, actually. I, I went to seminary right out of high school, had a terrible yeah. experience, went to a different seminary, yeah. uh, took some time off and really felt called to go back. And uh, conception was the perfect fit for me. And uh, I love the monks and I love going down and visiting there as well. Yes, well, Conception and St. Meinrad are kind of sister sister abbeys, so I, I've been to both. I've been to both. So great to talk to you today. Well, Steve, you've been in ministry for a long time, and so I guess perhaps the first thing to talk about might be how did you hear the call to ministry, and why did you respond to that call? Well, you know, I think I heard two two different answers to that question. First, I experienced great ministry when I was a young person. You know, I do a lot of different things today. I'm a composer. I do a, quite a few parish missions. Actually, Lent and Advent are all concerts and parish missions. But, but my beginnings was youth ministry. I was a youth minister in a parish. I still uh, speak at a lot of youth conferences and rallies and events. And and I think that springs forth from that I was a youth at these things, and it was a big part of my own conversion. You know, my own understanding of my faith came from that, and and uh, I wanted to share that with others. So um, I think the first call for me was was that I experienced powerful ministry as a young person, and I wanted to be a part of that. Um, the second is that I've always loved music. I've been a musician. When people ask me who are who are my big influences, I always say less. And they go, Les Paul? I'm like, no, Les, the guy who led music at 6 p.m. on Sunday nights at my church, and I don't even <laughs> remember his last name. He just came up to me one day and said, you play guitar, right? You should you should play with us. And so next thing you know, I'm sitting next to him playing guitar, and I, I, learned, I learned to play the guitar by playing at Mass, and I learned uh, really how to be subtle and prayerful at liturgy from him. And so that was really, uh, those days of my high school were really the formative years of my faith and what turned out to be my ministry in life for, for my whole life. 
I know that there are some people I know uh, that were part of a retreat team down in the Diocese of Rockford, but there was an individual, you know, the musician that led music, and they brought that retreat ministry up to the parish I was at, and he came with. So it's interesting just to note how simple people that we encounter in our daily life, perhaps in our youth, but how they really have had that strong influence in our life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the real essence of the faith. And that is why, you know, uh, for example, I, it's, it's a little dangerous, I think, when we make Catholic celebrities, you know, and that's a whole nother topic. But there's some wonderful people. I did Father Mike's Bible in a year. You know, I, I love all of the things that hits everyone's computer. But at the end of the day, you know, someone asked me one time, "Would you you should write a book on prayer because you lead the Chaplet of Divine Mercy every day I was doing during the pandemic. And I'm like, you don't need me to write a book on prayer. You just you just need to pray. Like if you have 20 minutes, you should just pray a rosary, you know, pray a chaplet. And, and uh, it is really those communities, those praying communities in our parishes, the, the community that we encounter day in and day out and week in and week out that really shape our faith more than what we a video on TV or something like that, you know. Your music career that began in high school playing at Mass, and it's taken you all over the world and in yeah. many different settings. You've had a great career, if you call it a career, maybe we call it a vocation uh, as a music minister. And so yeah. what are some of the highlights of your long career singing the praises of God? Oh, gosh, I would say... In no particular order, uh, the very in the year that World Youth Day came to Denver was a year that I uh, first stood and sang. I wrote the theme song for the National Catholic Youth Conference in CYC, and I, I think this is 1999. I first spoke at a Franciscan University of Steubenville Youth Conference. I first played the big youth day out at LA Congress, which was at the time about 15,000 young people. And I sang in the welcome of the Holy Father in Mile High Stadium. And that was really the year that I went from being a youth minister who sang occasionally at events to, you know, I, I pretty much did all the big national things that you could do all in the one year. And um, it's really wasn't so much that I was trying to, to become a musician. I mean, I loved music. I was leading music at my parish. I was writing music. But I really think God just kind of pulled that pulled that forth in one in one fell swoop. There I was at all those things. That, w- that was a highlight. I think writing music, you know, the first time, that 16-year-old kid who Les was teaching to play the guitar, I, I you know, it's funny. I was thinking this this morning and uh, not knowing what you were going to ask, but... There I am playing at mass on Sunday nights as a high school student, you know, with my glory and praise book or whatever. And and if you had told that 16-year-old kid, hey, one day you're going to have a few songs in that book, you know, I would have flipped out. You know, I would have flipped out. I, I never, you know, saw that coming in any way. And I think probably one of the most beautiful things about writing music for liturgy is when people use the music that you write to pray. It's just one of the most rewarding things. I took my family on vacation and we were down in Florida and a Psalm that I wrote, um, 
My soul is thirsting for you, O Lord, thirsting for you, my God. We're sitting out there, and they're playing that song as the (laughs) psalm that day. And my son is like, you should go tell them that's you. And I'm like, no, I just think it's so amazing. They don't even know I'm here. And uh, this is it's a very rewarding. That's probably the most rewarding thing about writing music for prayer and liturgy is that people use it to pray. And that is uh, uh, a blessing, you know. I've had a similar experience as an author where I'll be in an adoration chapel. I'm visiting somewhere and I look over and I see a Lenten journey with Mother Mary or a rosary (laughs) litany. I'm like, well, I'm the author of that book and these people are using it in their prayer. And so it's very humbling and moving just to know that, you know, I have lots of people in my own parish that buy my books or whatever, but then to see it kind of out there in the world, uh, yeah, it's a different experience, and it really moves you to gratitude. It uh, very much so. I wrote a song. Some people will know. You know, I wrote a song called "Go Make a Difference," and when I wrote it, I was twenty-something years old. I was asked to write a song for a closing session of of NCYC, the National Youth Conference, and I wrote it with a friend of mine, Tom Tomasek, who is from uh, Wisconsin, and we. Um, Milwaukee area. We we sat down and and we asked them, what would you like the song to say? They're like, well, it's the last day of a four day national event. We just wanted to say, go out there and make a difference in the world. And and how could we know? Little did I know it would become like the the national anthem of Catholic grade school. And when when I sing it, people are like, oh, we did that every Friday when I was in fifth grade, you know, or something like that. And uh, you know, it's funny because it's been played so much. It's one of those songs that some people love it, some people hate it. You know, it's kind of a funny thing. But when you look back on, um, hey, we wrote something that resonated, that that school children sing, that people have used for confirmation masses. Uh, and, and those those are such, I think there's a reason music resonates with people. Uh, music says things that words alone do not. And uh, Henry Wadsworth, this is one of my favorite quotes in the world, said, music is for one who loves. And why would we write a song? Why would we write a Marian hymn or a song like My Soul is Thirsting? Because you could simply say the words, my soul is thirsting for you, O Lord. You know, when we sing it, um, it gives meaning to the words that, that speaking words alone do not. That's why we sing at liturgy. And I think um, my love of music is is really tied to my faith in the sense that if we can sing a love song for another person, you know, which is the radio is filled with, then why wouldn't I sing out my love for the Lord? Why wouldn't I sing out my love for the Blessed Mother? Because those songs give context and meaning to words that um, speaking them alone does not. Beside Go Make a Difference, and it's funny that you mentioned, you know, some people love it, some people hate it. It's one of your more popular songs. It's kind of like Father Michael Jonkis, who wrote On Eagle's Wings. I think he wrote it for a funeral of a family member, and now it's become the funeral anthem for every funeral almost, you know? And and I think he even has some, you know, reservations about how much it's used. But uh, what are some of the other songs that people might know of? Uh, You mentioned that you write responsorial psalms, so it's possible yeah. people are singing them at Mass and, and they don't even realize it. Absolutely. You know, some of my work, and I really, um, this has been very rewarding for me, is Oregon Catholic Press has a, a collection called Spirit and Psalm, which is a contemporary psalmody for every Sunday of the year. And they have um, a contemporary collection of entrance and communion antiphons. 
And there are about three to six of us that wrote all of those. It's one of the things I'm most proud of that I've written the entrance and communion antiphons and, and the Psalms. And, and, you know, a lot of times people have no idea who wrote those. And, um, and that's, that's really fine with me. You know, the, the songs that I've written that people may recognize go make a difference in my soul is thirsting. I wrote a version. There are many versions of taste and see, um, and mine would go, taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Sarah and and I wrote a song called Alleluia, Love is Alive, which um, is a very became a very popular Easter song very quickly. And that's a song that I've written that a lot of people sing. And a song that I wrote with Tom Booth uh, called I Am the Bread of Life, um, which is which has had, I don't know, some almost a half a million views on the YouTube video. And who knew? You know, you put these things out there and some of them have 300 views and some of them have 500,000 views. And I like them both the same, like children, you know, so you never know. You never know what's going to resonate. But uh, those are some of the songs people might recognize. You might think of others. A Rightful Place is a song that I've written that a lot of people sing. Okay. And we're talking about music. And one of the things you've just written was a Marian hymn uh, called yes. Ave Maria. Uh, and there's a subtitle to it. Uh, but I, I guess maybe before we talk about the hymn, it might be good just to talk about your own devotion to Our Lady and what that looks like for you as a husband and as a father. Sure. You know, uh, my first encounter with really having a devotion to the Blessed Mother came when I was a youth minister. And I'll be honest, I was like a 20-something-year-old, brand-new youth minister, and I didn't fully appreciate a devotion to the Blessed Mother. And I, my encounter was mainly was with what I call the church ladies, you know, and I say this with respect because I joke about it sometimes even when I'm doing a mission, but I'm like, I joke about the church ladies, but with respect because I know they're here in the church because they never leave. They just, they pray the rosary, they go to mass and their children tape subway under the pew or something. And they eat a sandwich and keep praying. They're always in there. And, uh, I, you know, I remember that a really difficult thing happened in my family, and I was uh, frightened for the health of um, my grandparent. And I went into the chapel, and one of those sweet rosary ladies, you know, came over and said, "Is there something that we can pray for?" And I said, "Yeah, please pray for my grandfather." And she said, "Well, well, let's pray the rosary for your grandfather." And I told her, "I don't, I don't really know how, to, you know, I don't know how to pray the rosary." And then she said. Well, here's the best way to pray the rosary. Pray the rosary with this intention. Mary, help me to love Jesus more. That's something I'll never forget that she said that. And she gave me a little pamphlet that uh, had the mysteries of the rosary. And, you know, here's what happened, which was uh, remarkable. As I began praying the rosary and whatever I prayed for happened, like in an instant and dramatic way. Now, and, and I, I don't know if you've ever spoken about this in your book. This is not continue for the rest of my life. Like everything I pray for doesn't happen instantly and in a dramatic way. <laughs> However, I do think that um, I do think that she was trying to say to me, hey, um, this is a path to holiness and this is a path to my son. And I want to affirm that you've taken this step. And and so in that sense, you know, the rosary has been a part of my life, my entire ministry life. I, I also, um, during the pandemic, I prayed the Chaplet of Divine Mercy every day, which is a story which we can talk about some other day perhaps, but the Chaplet became very uh, important to me in my life. And I often teach young people that the Rosary and the Chaplet are what I call, you know, 
as a compliment, paraliturgical prayers, right? They're not the liturgy of the church. Like you can stop them and start them. You can pray a decade of the rosary in the car and you can pray a chaplet, you know, uh, while you're driving, you, you don't worry about it, you know, but, um, but they're so powerful in that they have a form and a function that you and I may have never met, but, but we can sit down in a moment of need or a moment of, of desiring to pray and we can pray together you know, because we know the words and we know what to say. And it's, I think I see young people really attracted to the rosary and the chaplet for that very fact that they don't have to know what to say. Um, God provides like this backdrop of uh, spirituality that you can just kind of enter into. And it's interesting you say that young people are drawn to the rosary because I bet there are people out there that would say, Young people have no interest in the rosary. They don't pray the rosary at all. But your experience has been, I see them pray the rosary. And it, it is definitely a beautiful prayer. And I, I love your little story about it and how your prayer was heard and and your reflection about what that meant. And what I often say about Marian devotion is that people say, well, why have a devotion to Our Lady? I, I just always say, well, time and again, it's worked. <laughs> you know, people prayed the <laughs> right. rosary and, you know, famines ended or wars were stopped. And so it just has worked. And there are so many testimonials at the shrines you go to, the little remembrances people have left. And so that's why we're devoted to Our Lady. And so for you, it worked. And now it stayed with you for the rest of your life. Absolutely. And, and you know, uh, one of the things that when people say, do young people pray the rosary, here is a real encouragement that I'd love to give because I've noticed this as a person who's done youth ministry and been a part of it my whole life. It's so easy. You know, retreat programs are so powerful and going to something like the National Youth Conference, which I believe is when we first were perhaps in the same room together based on uh, our correspondence before we started the interview. And all those things are powerful, but they also – you know, if if all we do is teach a young person a faith that requires a house band and a stage and a speaker and a big crowd of others, you know, um, we haven't we've done them a disservice. You know, and it's been I've noticed the last few years that the more the more we focus on providing an an understanding of faith to a young person that hey I'm on my dorm room college bed and my girlfriend broke up with me and I'm 250 miles from home. Um, can I find God in that moment without, you know, a, a house band and a speaker and a retreat program, but just being able to sit down and access God on my own? And I think uh, that's a very important thing if we want young people to continue in faith as adults. OCP recently released a new Marian hymn that you wrote and you recorded. So I'm curious if that song, Ave Maria, Mary Sing with Joyful Heart, if that was your idea, or did they approach you and ask you to write the song? Well, a little bit of both, okay? So they actually said, um, we're going to have, we have in the hymnal a need for a few newer hymns. And uh, it's funny that you had Sarah last week, because Sarah and I are friends. We don't always write together. We sometimes write together. But we're very um, intrigued, I think, both of us, with the idea of, ancient and new, you know, finding uh, new ways to express things, but still that they feel they feel in the in the context and the tradition of the church. And so contemporary hymnody has become a very popular thing to write. So I 
have had for some time a love for this particular text. I did not write these words. I found these words in a book of hymn texts by James Quinn. If anyone prays, in fact, um, I had a priest say to me one time, in a, a priest that prays the liturgy of the hours, anyone that prays the liturgy of the hours, I said, James Quinn wrote this. He said, yeah, I don't know anything about him, but he's all over the breviary. James Quinn, SJ, James Quinn, SJ. <laughs> and and he, a lot of the hymns in the breviary are texts that he wrote. He was Scottish hymn writer. He died probably 40 or 50 years ago, but um, pretty contemporary times. And um, he he wrote uh, lyrics for every mystery of the rosary, um, or every, yeah, every every mystery of the rosary. And mm. so the joyful mysteries were the ones that just captivated me first. And that's what I did. I took his hymn text, and then I sort of created that refrain that goes with it. Ave, Ave, Ave Maria. Ave, Ave, Ave Maria. So I wrote that as a chorus to him, to his hymn verses, and it, it just came together really like I was praying it. And so that's I was hoping they would like it because I really loved singing it. And so uh, fortunately, I got an instant response. That we're we're publishing this. I'm like, praise God, thank you. Well, that's wonderful. So the verses then, which reflect the rosary mysteries. So the yes. first one has the lines, Mary, sing with joyful heart. The second one says, sing my soul, and it goes on. The third yeah. one says, angels and shepherds, um, refers to Jesus as the shepherd king. The fourth verse uh, comes to claim his dwelling place. And yep. the fifth, Jesus as God's house of prayer. So those are all his words, but you've arranged it very nicely for us. Thanks. Yeah, I, I, it was a pleasure to do. It was beautiful to write. And then I, I would point out to anyone listening, you know, the, uh, why I, I love this text. Uh, the fifth verse, for example, the mystery of the rosaries, the finding of the child Jesus in the temple. I've always focused on, you know, the parental perspective of Mary looking for Jesus and the panic in their hearts. I'm like, how do you write that experience into a hymn? You know, and it says, where is Jesus child of grace here in God, my father's house where the son is, there is God. I am God's new house of prayer. Right. And I just thought that's so powerful. Jesus claiming I am now God's house of prayer, not this place where we stand. And and uh, so that it, I I am especially a music writer. And so when I write with someone like Curtis Stephen or Sarah Hart, often um, they're 80% of the lyric and I'm 20% of the lyric, but I'm 80% of the melody and they're 20%. You know, it's sort of symbiotic, but I love finding words like that, that just, you know, how do, how do you set that so it it breathes in a way that you feel like you're praying these words. Yeah. And you just mentioned with the fifth mystery of finding Jesus that I think oftentimes we limit ourselves in our meditation. We always just go to the same thing. And one yeah. of the things I've been doing this year, I've been doing something crazy. I'm reading a 2,500 page book <laughs> called the mystical city of God by venerable <laughs> Maria of Agreda. Mm -hmm. She was a Spanish mystic. And one of the things I realized as I read about the visitation 
was that the visitation was not just the moment where Mary greets Elizabeth and they proclaim the Magnificat, but the visitation was several months. It was Mary's visit. And so there's so much you can meditate on. But I, I've always confined myself to that very first moment, like Mary knocking on the door and <laughs> the greeting of the people. And and so there is yeah. a greater richness. And I think that these lyrics might be able to help people to focus on that. And even in the nativity uh, verse, talking about the angels and shepherds. So I like kind of the unity of bringing together different figures in uh, the, the birth of Jesus, but then that Jesus is the shepherd king, and then yeah. that there he is in the city of David laying on hay. So, you know, it, it kind of just brings together the whole Christmas story in a very simple, you know, two or three sentences. Yeah, yeah. And and as as I wrote it, my my image was you could sing this, you know, say in a public public uh, rosary, you could sing this before each decade, and you really kind of set the stage, and you really set it as good as it can be said. I I do think, in lots of our in in a lot of our prayer, we we kind of keep going back to pray the same thing, and and to allow ourselves to to expand a little bit and think, what are other elements of this? I just led a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, which is something I'm going to try to do every year for the rest of my life. It's just so, it's it's impossible to describe to someone what it's like to be standing in these places. You know, I am standing where Jesus stood. I, I, and, and probably Mary's house, you know, is one of my favorite places because there's just a holiness in this place. And, and the way it was described to me the first time that I was there is, you know, we have this image, like, how do they know Mary lived here 2,000 years ago? And and for uh, a really, a, my tour guide on that trip is an archaeologist and, and a phenomenal guy who's writing a book himself about the Holy Land. And, and he said, you know, this entire town was basically 80 family clans. You know, it's it's you know, the question isn't how did they know? How would they not know which one was Mary's house? You know, how would they not know? There was only 80 families here. You know, that's the one. That's the one. And and the early Christian graffiti, and you and you and you kneel in the spot where the angel appeared to Mary, and you're like, holy cow, it just becomes so real to you there. And um, I think that uh really opened my own heart to when I pray the rosary, I I have the visual, like I really step into those places physically, you know, because I have that image in my mind and, and it does change the things I focus on as I pray. I've been to the Holy Land two different times. When I was studying at Mundelein, uh, that was where I did my major seminary, uh-huh. uh, I was there for 10 weeks. So we went oh. to all of these different places. We were blessed to be in Nazareth for a week. So you could go yeah. to the Basilica of the Annunciation, you know, every day yeah. or to the Church yeah. of the Nativity or wherever we were staying. Yeah. You had that blessing to be able to be in those places. But it was during that time that I started writing a little rosary devotional called A Rosary Litany. And one of the things I did when we visited those places, I would pray, you know, about the rosary, and then I would write these little invocations. So it was taking the, so St. Louis de Montfort recommends this, you know, so you have the Annunciation. So thy womb Jesus announced by the angel, Holy Mary, Mother of God, thy womb Jesus conceived by the Holy Spirit. But I, yeah. I specifically wrote them all at the places where that corresponding mystery took place. So um, the Holy uh, Land truly impacted my own rosary prayer and promotion yeah. of devotion as well. Cool. 
And those and that very type of devotion, I think, uh, those aids in praying the rosary are so powerful. And I have books and books of them. And I actually have uh, I ha- your name. I recognize your name from my bookshelf of, of Marian books. So oh. <laughs> one of them is up in my library right now. And I was like, oh, oh that's crazy. when they said, I was like, oh, I know this guy. I know this guy. And, and I go to all these parishes and collect all these things. And, you know, it's, it's beautiful because the truth is uh, we're not bound. You know, when I think two things I think about when I think about praying the rosary um, and praying the chapel of divine mercy, you know, you're, you're not bound by any particular um, have tos. And, and I, I do think sometimes it helps people to feel, to remember, you know, today I am burning desire to pray the luminous mysteries, but it's Monday. I'm like, you know, there's no penalty of sin and praying the, in the rosary. Like prayer is prayer. You know, if, if, if the gospel yesterday was one of the luminous mysteries and you're just dying to pray it, pray it, you know? And, and, and for me, uh, when you talk about our Benedictine roots a little bit, I, I do like to point out to people that, that there is in a real sense of Benedictine, uh, root to the rosary. And, and for me, it's a spiritual and a historical connection. Uh, spiritually, I think what a Benedictine education did for me more than anything is simply the idea of aura at labora, prayer and work. And the monks, the bells ring and the monks stop and pray seven times a day. And, and one of the, one of the monks said to me, as I was literally just walking down the sidewalk with him, he said, you know, people think monks stop and pray to do something holy in the middle of the day, but that's not the case. We stop and pray seven times a day to sanctify the entire day. I pray because when I do that and I go back to work, I treat people around me differently. When there's conflict, I handle it differently. I trust God more when there's something to be frightened of or worried about in life. We pray not simply to go into a chapel and do a holy thing, but to sanctify everything in our life. I found that so powerful. And, and you know, the rosary really in its roots was, a, you know, a string of knots or beads where people working in the field would hear the bells ring and, and, and an illiterate population uh, would know that the monks were going in to pray the 150 psalms. And so they would, you know, pray along 150 aves or 150 our fathers and, and that developed into the rosary that we have today, but but uh, originally, you know, three three sets of mysteries and uh, it made it so that you paid 150 Hail Marys along with the 150 Psalms. And I I really uh, love both of those aspects that that prayer and work throughout my day and the connection to the Universal Church praying at all times. Um, the rosary is a really easy way to enter into that and. Um, I, I tell people all the time, I know you have one. It's hanging on your rearview mirror, and you haven't prayed it, but you do look at it. And yeah. and so it is true that occasionally we do have to have, you know, have the courage and the notion to take it off the mirror or the wall and actually, actually pray it, even if you don't know how exactly. You know, God will bless. Just the, the Blessed Mother leads us to her son when we simply enter in. And and your words were my favorite Uh uh, when people ask me why, I'm like, because it works and because God is faithful and you don't even have to completely understand why at first. Just just recognize that God is working in this community of family. The the, the Blessed Mother, St. Joseph, who is uh, very dear to my heart because it's my confirmation name, and, uh, and we are called into the Holy Family. What a beautiful thing that we have a God of relationship.
I even notice in my own life with the rosary that when I pray it in the morning, my day is a lot different than if I pray it at four o'clock in the afternoon. That like that just brings a sense of peace to my day uh, yes. when I begin with the rosary. And even in the end of the day, if I do it at the end of the day, there's that sense of peace. And I liked what you said too about not being restricted to the days and which ones are what days and whatnot. Mm. I was just in Florida. I flew down there to pray with a family at a shrine called Our Lady of La Leche where uh, couples cool. who struggle to conceive go and pray. And and so I was there on a Friday and I'm like, well, it's a sorrowful mysteries, but I'm going to pray the joyful mysteries mysteries. And in each mystery, I focused on the idea of conception and whatnot, because that's the, you know, that's the whole goal of that shrine. And so to think of Jesus being conceived in the Annunciation, the children leaping for joy, Elizabeth being infertile, so forth, so on. So I wasn't tied. But what that meant was Friday, Saturday, and Monday, I prayed the joyful mysteries. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And, you know, sometimes that's Sometimes I think it would be cool to just, for one week, just pray the joyful mysteries every day, pray the sorrowful mysteries every day, and and do what what you said was, don't meditate on the same exact thing, but let's go some, let's go a little deeper, like see this from the perspective of Saint Joseph. What was this like? See this from the perspective of strangers walking by. What must they have felt, heard, seen? You know, I like kind of that. One of my favorite things that ever uh, that I've ever done when I, my spiritual director, who was my pastor at the time during Lent, said, "Let's pick one scripture passage and pray it every day." And he picked a line for me, which was when John the Baptist said, "I must decrease, so he may increase, so Christ may increase." Okay, Lent is forty days is a long time for one sentence, you know. And so after about seven or eight days, I'm like, "Can we, you know, can we go to the next sentence?" And he's like, "No, no, no." Right when you want to go, to the next sentence is when you need to go deeper into this sentence. And oh. uh, it was it was very cool. It was very cool to just um, try to allow that. I I think in my own life, the obstacle to prayer for me personally is that I sometimes fall into a rut and 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 kind of. I'm on autopilot a little bit, and so I'm, I, you know, I, I notice I'm not really listening to some of the things that are happening at Mass. I've heard them a million times. I'm not really, I'm praying the rosary, but just just as we said, it's it's become sort of like the same thoughts over and over. And I really think getting out of out of that and into a deeper relationship. Let it remember that it's really relationship that we're forming, relationship with the Blessed Mother, relationship with our Savior, and and we are the only religion in the world that believes in a God who cares about us individually. And I just think that's so extraordinary that that I have evidence in my praying of the rosary that God hears my prayers, that the Blessed Mother does in fact lead me to Jesus, that I am loved when my dad was dying. If God was waiting for me to have a single original word to say— I wasn't going to come up with one, but I could pick up a rosary and just literally experience the comfort of a mother and the love of her son. And and those things um, are the reason I'm Catholic, really. So mm. are, are, are the sacraments and our tradition of prayer, community, the relationship we have with God and each other, um, it, it changes me every day. James Quinn wrote the words, and you put them to music, in this Ave Maria 
Mary sing with joyful heart. Now, you mentioned that there are other verses for the sorrowful and the other mysteries of the rosary. Is it your intention to put those to have all the mysteries? And I guess I'm curious because, you know, the luminous mysteries were recently added in the early 2000s. So does he have text for the luminous mysteries? All great questions. So, yes, yes, for sure. I intend to write uh, all of them. Um, You cannot. Here's a perfect example of how music has to be married to the text in a creative way. Da 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 That was written for Mary sing with joyful heart. You shall bury Manuel. Well, that's just not gonna work for the sorrowful mysteries. They have a completely different tone, you know. So um the rhythm is the same for all of his um so I'll have to but I'll have to write a, a melody that is more suited to the text. No, he does not have luminous mysteries. He died before the Luminous Mysteries, um, or I, I don't remember exactly. You know, he died in 2010, so I don't really know when he stopped writing, but um, he does not have the Luminous Mysteries. Yeah. So then the question becomes, what are the lyrics for that? Well, that well, that's a good reason to come back on the show when I have figured that out. If and, you need uh, help, maybe I can help. <laughs> okay, that's a deal. I say you and me and Sarah Hart write the lyrics. <laughs> That'd be great. So that's wonderful. You know, I'm thinking, you know, I don't know what your timeline is, what OCP wants, but it would seem that uh, Lent would be a good time to release the Sorrowful Mysteries, and then Easter week would be a good time to release the Glorious Mysteries in 2023. But, uh, you know, I'm just speaking off the cuff here. I'm going to take that request as uh, unofficial deadlines and see what I could do. (laughs) I I think that's a great idea. (laughs) Uh, I just have two other questions real quick. Now, there's album art that OCP has with, you know, the title of the song, your name. And that same image as I'm speaking to you on Skype is right behind you. So yes, what's the story behind this image of Our Lady? That image of Our Lady was painted by my wife. Oh. And she was an art major, although, you know, never pursued it professionally or anything. She, behind me, of course, a listener can't see, is a, is a dove, the Holy Spirit the painting that she painted and then the blessed mother holding Jesus, which is the cover art. And, um, in our own life, the reason she painted that, I, I will say in our, our own family devotion to the blessed mother, um, we had two children and we were not really able to have any other children try as we may. And so we found ourselves leading a world youth day pilgrimage of young people. And we stopped first in Fatima and we, we lit a candle in Fatima that is bigger than the average human being. <laughs> yes. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We lit a candle in Fatima asking God um, that we would be able to have one more child. And a story that I can't, I can't even describe to you, but uh, the journey from there. But um, nine months later, we were adopting our son. Um, so... So what we thought we were praying was for a child to be placed in my wife's womb. But what happened was the most unlikely turn of events where we were asked to adopt a baby that if you do the math would have been conceived literally the week we lit the candle, you know, and it's just extraordinary. And, and here's the miracle, you know, there were some, my son is very healthy and doing very well and he's 21 years old just uh, last month. But, um, 
But when we adopted him, there were some fears, you know, that that would he be healthy? There were some concerns and and the mother was in a home, you know, for unwed mothers. And so um, we were taking a bit of a risk. And so we just prayed. And my wife has a beautiful devotion to St. Therese of Lisieux. And so she prayed, if this is the baby for us, please send us a sign of roses, you know. Mm. And there is a uh, monastery, a Carmelite uh uh, there's, I don't know if monastery is the right word, but there is a community of, of uh, Carmelite sisters in Arlington, Texas, and we give them a little money every month. And so we received an envelope from them that week that said, you know, thank you for your support. Thank you for sending us your letters and prayers because my wife writes them novels. We know you've asked God for more children many times, and we believe soon will come the joy. That's a prophecy. They didn't know any of this. Soon wow. will come the joy. So that you might know that we're praying for you, uh, here is a small token from us. The relics of St. Therese, the little flower, rested here at our monastery last month, and we adorned them with roses, and we wish to send to you some of the rose petals from the roses oh, that wow. the relics of St. Therese. And so um, in, in that moment, we said yes. And in fact, here's what's so beautiful is um, – we have not been back to Fatima since, and the tradition is that you walk that long, long, there's this football field long mm-hmm. path that you walk it on your knees in Thanksgiving to prayers answered, and we're going to World Youth Day next year in um, Portugal, and my wife has said, you and I have to get down on our knees in Fatima and walk walk that walk. Because 21 years I, later. 21 years later. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Oh. That's the story of the painting and my wife's devotion to the Blessed Mother and, uh, and the miracle of our son. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, that, you know, of course, it's the child Jesus that Mary is holding there. But of yeah. course, maybe you'll look at it and you'll say, well, that's our baby, too. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> that's the beauty of art. Many, many layered meanings. <laughs> and then I have another question because I'm, again, looking at you through Skype. And you yeah. have a statue of Our Lady of La Salette. So yes. I was wondering why that's important to you. You know, um, I the first time I ever spoke at a a large uh, Franciscan University youth conference was about three thousand kids at Our Lady of La Salette Shrine in Massachusetts, and um, I just was so moved by the image of Our Lady of La Salette and by um, her, you know, her what I interpret as her intense prayer and heart for our brokenness, and so. I bought the statue there. Oh, sure. Well, that's great. And statues are great reminders and, uh, again, can help lead us into prayer, just as your music is leading people into prayer. Uh, Do you envision people praying this at Mass or on Marian feast days? I I envision leading the rosary at my parish, and I have very talented musicians. I should send you some of their music, (laughs) like uh, how they sing, but... Uh, you know, I envision them playing this. You know, maybe we come together uh, for the rosary uh, during the month of October, and there this song will lead us or kick it off. I would be honored. You know, I I wrote I wrote this song, Ave Maria, Mary Sing with Joyful Heart, particularly for congregational singing, and I think that was my hope that it brings the heart of Mary and the beauty of. You know, what What did the mysteries of the rosary tell us? They tell us the story of our salvation. Um, and I, I, it was my hope that people would pray this and sing this. I'm doing it. Uh, 
I do it at mass a lot, uh, particularly at events where we have a Saturday mass, which is a day we honor the blessed Mm -hmm. mother. And so I sing it a lot of Saturdays since I've written it. And, and that would be my hope and my prayer that as people sing this, they don't just see it as a song, but uh, actually a way to draw closer to the blessed mother and, and in that to her son. Now the song is available in many different ways. Uh, OCP actually has like this whole page where they have all the links to Apple Music, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, uh, etc. So I'll post that link in the show notes. And uh, it's a beautiful song, and I hope to listen to it very often. Awesome. I appreciate that. And it is easy to find on YouTube. Just search it. And uh, and they just released a lyric video, which is, I think, very beautiful. Oh, wonderful. Well, great. Well, Steve, I think you probably have a website. Maybe you're on social media. How can people find you and learn more about you? Yeah, if you're on social media, by far the best way to find me is uh, my Facebook page, which is Steve Angrisano Music. So just search Steve Angrisano or Steve Angrisano Music. If you forget how to spell my name, Google is very helpful in that regard. So (laughs) uh, it'll say, did you mean? And you can find me there. I do have a webpage, steveangrisano.com, and my schedule and music is at ocp.org. So um, but if you just search my name, you'll find all those things. Well, thanks so much, Steve, for joining me today on How They Love Mary and to really talk about how we can sing with a joyful heart uh, to our Blessed Mother through the Rosary. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's show and for all the many ways that you support the podcast. If you want to help out the podcast, be sure to check out Sock Religious. I love their socks. I love their shirts. And so go over to Sock Religious, use the link in the show notes, and buy some holy socks or some holy shirts that you can wear to evangelize your family and your friends. If you also want to support the podcast, I invite you to please share the podcast with your friends or on your social media platforms. Rate or review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't mind, please follow me on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. My handle is at FR Edward Looney. You'll see all of the posts, all of the content that I put out each week by following me there. Thanks so much again for listening today. Know that I am entrusting you to the heart of Mary, asking her to pray for you this day and every day. And if you don't mind, say a prayer for me too. Let us remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless.